Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. So we're going to go back to John 4, our foundation verses here. This again, for those that may be joining us for the first time tonight, live stream or otherwise, this again was Jesus actually talking to a woman at the well at Sychar. And in the midst of their conversation, he talked about the difference between the way the Samaritans worship and the difference between the Jews worship. And in relationship to how they did worship, the reality was neither one were doing it correctly. The Samaritans were all about the place. The Jews were all about what it was they were worshiping, which really wasn't God. It was the law. It was the aspects of the law that they were trying to uphold in relationship to what God had given them. But they had added to that. And so clearly, we know that the Bible teaches us in these verses, God is seeking these people out. Therefore, if you want to be found by him as a true worshiper, we need to know what that is. In John chapter 4, verse 23, because we don't have time to go back and read through all of this here. Verse 23, he said, Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is. He was speaking this to this Samaritan woman. So he is coming in relationship to understanding what he's talking to her about, he has come, I should say, excuse me, in this context coming, and fulfilling what's needed for us to be true worshipers. Yes. To be a true worshiper, need to be born again. So he's accomplishing that. So the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father again in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such yes. to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now that statement, God is spirit, revealed again why the Samaritans were not correct and the Jews were not correct. The Samaritans weren't worshiping God the spirit. It was their understanding of worshiping God, but it was all about the place. And if you weren't in the proper place where Jacob's well was, they considered that it was not true worship. Not true. Obviously, you're not worshiping the place, you're worshiping God. And again, for the Jews, it was all about that, the law, what they did, their own accolades, their own lifestyle, how they lived. We see that, in, again, as we're going to see in just a minute in Paul's life. Paul talked about this very clearly. And so he was one of those very ones who thought he was worshiping God, but in fact, he was later found out, I was worshiping the law as well. I was worshiping what I did not the God who gave me this salvation and this gift of righteousness. And so clearly, worship in the sense of what it means, as we've already talked about, is not just singing a song. Uh, singing songs is an expression of worship. But that's not the heart of these verses. That's not what it means in the context as a whole to be a true worshiper. Because clearly, as we've talked about, can you worship things? Yeah, people do. Can you worship other people? Yes, many people do. I don't mean you're singing to them. So what does a true worshiper do? The context of a true worshiper is found in three things as you look up the definition of what a true worshiper is. Number one, what's the first one? Come on. Clearly you adore God. So I'm not to adore. Don't misunderstand me. I adore my wife, but not to the degree I adore God. So I'm to adore God above everything else. The second part of what a true worshiper is is we do what? Magnify him. So we don't magnify our vehicles. We don't magnify our animals. We're not to magnify our homes. We're not to magnify things we own. We're not to magnify our status in life. We're not to magnify any of that. We're, mag we're to magnify God above everything else. Part of the cool thing about being a true worshiper, it helps you to draw near to him much easier. Because when God's lifted up, people will be drawn to him. If you magnify God, you're going to be drawn to him. Your heart will be drawn to him. So it's a part of the response of a true worshiper that as we magnify God, which the whole heart of why God wants true worshipers is to know you and for you to know him. And then the third part of what the definition of a true worshiper is, which kind of ties it all together, means to do what? Love God to the highest degree. Let's say them together. Definition of a true worshiper. No, true worshiper, number one. A true worshiper does what again? Glorify the what? Adores. Adores our God. Number two, magnifies our God. Number three, 
Loves him to the highest degree. Loves him to the highest degree. So that's a true worshiper. And to do that, what must you do? According to verse 23 and 24, you got to worship him in spirit and in truth. So let's go back then, if you would, to Philippians, please, chapter 3. And this is where we pick up from the Apostle Paul's writings. See, this is why the New Testament uh, letters after following the Gospels are so critical. A lot of people don't know this. If all you had was the Gospels, you would have no knowledge of who you really are. You would have no knowledge of what you really have and what you can do. Because the Gospels just talk about what Jesus did. But the context of these New Testament epistles, they talk about us. They reveal who we are, what we have, and what we can do. So Jesus in the Gospels talks about being a true worshiper. And the key, first, the first key, you got to worship him in spirit. So here's where Paul then helps us understand that as he talks about this in the book of Philippians chapter 3. I want to pick up in verse 3. If you would pick it up with me in verse 3. We are the circumcision... Now, that phrase here is referring to, we are the ones who have a covenant with our God. Circumcision in the Old Testament was a sign that that family had a covenant with God. What's our sign we have a covenant? He's about to tell you. We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So how do we worship God in relationship to the Spirit? Well, we're worshiping God in Spirit by doing what? By acknowledging it's not what we do. It's not what we're worshiping. It's not by where we go. It's a worship of our God who did everything that was needed for us to enter back in relationship with Him. And that's why he says we rejoice in Christ Jesus. Why? Jesus made it possible. Jesus is the one that opened the door for us to once again, spirit to spirit. See, until your spirit was born again, so if you're still confused a little bit about this, why is it that only now we can be a true worshiper? Because your spirit wasn't reborn until Jesus died and paid the debt for us to be born again. How does God relate to you? He's never related to humans through their soul or their bodies. He relates to their spirit man. Now, God has externally spoken to people. I'm talking about relating to them in a way that they can know him and he can know them. How does he do that? Through our spirit man. God's a spirit. He obviously bears witness with our spirit and therefore relates to us through what? Our spirit man. So understand that this was not possible till we were born again because now our spirit, having the Holy Spirit living within us, can commune with God. How do we do that? We acknowledge what Jesus did. All he's saying in verse 3 here is he's going to go on and expound in the following verses is, if you want to worship God in spirit, it's based on what Christ did, not what you've done. That's why we rejoice in Christ Jesus and we have no confidence in the flesh. Because there's no way that I of myself could get in a position spiritually to get born again, to be able to adore God, to be able to magnify him and love him to the highest degree, spirit to spirit. That wasn't possible without Jesus. But Jesus made it possible. I said Jesus made it possible. Here's what's sad. Think about the fact of what he made possible for you to be a true worshiper, experience him, and him walk close with you, and how many Christians are not true worshipers. And never experience this. Never experience this. So to do so, what am I doing? I am not acknowledging what I have done. You listening? I'm acknowledging what Jesus did. I put no confidence in the flesh. I'm not putting confidence in what I have done. How many hours I've prayed. How many hours I've fasted. How long I've sought the Lord. No, no, no. none of that has to do with you having relationship with God. There's one thing that does, and that's Jesus opening the door. Now, you've got to take advantage of that. You've got to step through the door. And it's not by a bunch of acts of your uh, you know, work as a Christian that causes you to have relationship with God. No, the door's already wide open. you just got to step through it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of like thinking of a, of a door locked with somebody behind it that really wants to know you, wants you to get to know them in every way, and the only problem is the door's locked. So once the door's unlocked, what do you got to do? Walk through the door. So the door's unlocked. For every believer, the door's unlocked. But fellowship doesn't come unless you walk through the door. I wish to had time, but over in the letters written in Revelation to the seven churches, and one of them, literally Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. All seven letters were written to churches, believers. All seven letters given to John 
were to be delivered to the pastor, the messenger of the church, to speak to the congregation. And in that congregation, he was saying, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. I really wish you would let me in to fellowship with you. Not like be born again. They're already born again. I want you to open the door of fellowship. I want you to know me, and I want to know you. Remember, there are going to be those, Jesus said, who will appear to him in the time frame of, uh, obviously, the, after the rapture occurs. In that time frame, they'll cry out to God and say, Hey, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do all these mighty works in your name? He, he never said, No, you did none of that. But you know what he did say? Depart from me, I never knew you. So that's talking about missing the rapture. My job as a pastor today, more than ever before, is twofold primarily. Yes, to equip you to go do the work of the ministry. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But our, my primary aspect of what I'm to do as a pastor is to equip you to go win souls. Right. To do the work of the ministry means to go out there and win souls to Jesus. But my second duty as a, as a last day's pastor, and I'm reminded of this all the time by the scriptures and my pastor, is to make sure you're ready for the return of the Lord. Now, I can't force you to go. And I can't force you to get ready. All I can do is tell you what the Bible says to be ready. I know there's a lot of people saying, but you're saying now we're going to earn our way into the rapture. No, you're not. You're going to be ready for when he comes. You're going to be looking up. You're going to be prepared. Amen. And it does not mean if you miss the rapture, you lose your salvation. No, I think a bunch of believers are going to have a major wake-up call when that day takes place. All these movies, just so you remember this, all these movies that say one moment these believers are here and they're gone and nobody knows where they've gone. No, they're going to know right where they've gone. The Bible says when he appears in the clouds to take away to catch up those that are ready, you know what it says? All will see him. Who's going to see him? The whole world will. Thus saith the Bible. And the Bible says they will see us. Our bodies will be instantly, come on, instantly transformed from mortal to immortal. Now imagine the believer standing next to you who doesn't see that happen to their body. Uh-oh. You listening? And now we're raptured up to heaven. So realize that you and I know this very clearly, even in the context, the greatest parable you have, that because people tell me, you don't have scripture to back that up. Have you not read the, the parable of the ten virgins? Go figure out what a virgin is. A virgin is somebody pure in spirit, not in the natural. Because if you could earn your way to heaven, you didn't need Jesus to come die for you. You're not earning your way to heaven. You still have a heavenly home. Sad thing is, you're just not ready to go when Jesus comes for the first load. Are you listening? So you and I want to be prepared. Say prepared. We want to be prepared, right, for the return of the Lord. Jesus even talked about it to Laodicea. What did he say? If you're lukewarm when I come back, who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Believers. I'll spew you out of my mouth. I don't want Jesus spitting me out of his mouth. How about you? So in verse 3, what does it mean, pastor, to worship God in spirit? You ready? If you haven't got it down yet, write this down. We worship God in spirit when the worship is all about him. We've said it many ways, but this is a way to kind of sum it up. How do you worship God in spirit? When your worship, your adoration, come on, you're magnifying And your loving to the highest degree is all about what? Him. It's about Him. It's not about me. It's not about what I have or haven't done. It's not about what you have or haven't done. It's not about me wanting to get, again, a status in this type of life where people look up to me. I don't care if they do or not. You know? I I had an... it's, It's been a while, but I had a gal that I blocked today on Facebook again because I posted a deal and she wanted to argue about saying that Christmas... And, and uh, Christmas and Halloween are basically uh, are similar. There's nothing, you know, if you worship one, you worship the other. Everybody, I said, are you kidding me? Right. You, whoa, you're, you're comparing Christmas to Halloween? That's like night and day. That's like black and white, you know. And, of course, she went on bringing up all this stuff. Sure, there's been a lot of pagan things added to the Christmas holiday. Satan's tried to rob it from believers forever. But when I go into a store at Christmas time, guess what I hear songs about? Jesus. I hear songs about the birth of the Savior. How about you? I don't hear that during Halloween. Has anybody gone to Walmart at Halloween and heard them worshiping Jesus and talking about Jesus? No, I never heard that. But I'm just here to tell you, folks, we want to be ready, though. We want to be prepared. Amen? So to worship God in spirit, I want you to repeat it with me, is to do what? It is to make it all about Him. Him. Say it. To make it all about Him. 
We worship God in the Spirit when the worship is all about Him. Adoration, the magnification, and the loving Him to the highest degree is not about anything on this earth. It's all about Him. Paul tells you this, verse 4. He goes on to say, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised as required, under the Old Testament law, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, Pharisee, in other words, what was required of the law, Pharisees were considered. There were Sadducees, there were Pharisees, there were different groups of people in that day. They were considered the strictest sect of people in upholding the law, which in truth, most of them were somewhat hypocrites, but not Paul. Paul said to the very umph degree that I could concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. I upheld it to the strictest degree. Verse 6, concerning zeal, a zeal for God, I was even persecuting the church. I had, a zeal, I had a total zealousness for God. I thought I had a zeal for God to the degree that I'm persecuting the very ones that Jesus died and paid the price for them to be born again. Didn't even know it. Why? Because he wasn't a true worshiper yet. He wasn't a true worshiper yet. Concerning the righteousness, verse 6, which is in the law, the, righteous, the, the law doesn't make you righteous. What they thought, what they thought by upholding the law made you righteous, which it did not. He was blameless in that. Verse 7, but, <clears throat> then what did, he fig- what did he figure out? On the road to Damascus. <clears throat> what things were gained to me? All that he had done. All that he could brag about. He's not bragging here. He's just telling you what he used to brag about. So all of these things that he used to brag about in relationship to his lifestyle, what things were gained to me, these I've now counted what? Loss. For what? For Christ. For Christ. For the one who died for me. For the one who rose from the dead. For the one who gave me this new life. Praise God. I count it as what? I count it as loss. I count all these things, he said, as loss that I may know Christ. Verse 8. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for what? The excellence or the That is infinite value for the infinite value of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. What's that mean? For the infinite value of getting to know Jesus. What an infinite value. There's no greater value. If you're focusing anything about your life day in and day out, other than getting to know your God better, you're missing out on the infinite value of life. Because the infinite value of life is to get to know the Lord. Paul found that out. He goes on to say, for whom I've also done what? Suffered the loss of all things. Not just in relationship to what he did, but even what he had. Paul was a guy, we find out in Romans, who coveted things. Therefore, probably being a Pharisee and people lauding things on them, he probably had a lot of stuff. But you know what? When he went out to preach the gospel, he didn't care. He didn't carry it with him. He didn't hire a bunch of extra camel drivers to come along and carry all his stuff with him. No, man. He just out preaching the gospel. He's out obeying God. I counted all loss, again, notice this, in relationship to the excellence of the knowledge of knowing Jesus my Lord, latter part of verse 8, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may do what? Gain Christ. Gain Christ. What's that mean? Verse 9, be found in him. If you're found in him, what's that mean? I'm one with him. People see Jesus when they look at me. People notice his character, his nature, his attributes, his love, his joy, his peace. That I may become one with him, not having my own righteousness, verse 9, which is from the law, which he found out obviously you couldn't attain, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, that I may what? Know him. That's intimacy. That phrase there means to know him at the most intimate level. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We should not be powerless Christians. No believer should. We're not. But I mean, we should not be living a powerless life. The the more we get to know him, the more we're going to get to know his power working through our life. And also the fellowship of what? His sufferings. Being conformed to what? His death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So what does that mean relating, relating to his sufferings or attaining to his death? Well, he died physically. Well, guess what you and I got to do? Die to the old fleshly nature. We're not supposed to let our fleshly nature rule. How do we deal with our fleshly nature? Letting our spirit man dominate. Developing this new spirit man. You're not going to overcome flesh with flesh, folks. If you could, you didn't again need Jesus. You're going to overcome your flesh by your spirit, man, by developing him and walking in the light of who you are. Now, go with me to Matthew 15. 
where we left off, Matthew 15. That wasn't all review. So to worship God in spirit. God's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. To worship God in spirit, again, means to do what? To worship God in spirit means that you and I make our worship all about him. There's nothing more important to us in our life than him. We don't adore anyone, anything, any aspect of what we have in life. We don't love to the highest degree anything more than we do him. We magnify him above everything else. If you want to simplify it, my daily life should all be about a relationship, a a pursuit of a relationship with him. I should be getting to know him better and better. So we're also to worship him in truth. So the worship's all about him. How do we worship him in truth? Good question. How do we do that? Well, Matthew 15 gives a little insight here. As we begin to see this in verse 7, Jesus talking about those of his day relating to the fact that they worship God in vain. They didn't worship him properly. Vain means that their, their worship was useless. What didn't do them any, wasn't doing them any good. Why? It wasn't true worship. Wasn't true worship. So notice this. In Matthew chapter 15, he calls uh, all these religious leaders of their day relating to the things that they were doing that were contrary to what even Scripture said, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now here, in this one context, wasn't the only thing they were doing. But in this context, they were doing something that in Mark's gospel, the phrase that they actually coined, the Jews, was a phrase called korban. And that meant any gain to me, if I claim any gain to me is korban, what I'm saying is that is a gift to God. Therefore, I no longer have to honor my father and mother, like the Ten Commandments say, because I'm giving that to God. And the truth is, they were hypocrites. They didn't give it to God. They kept it for themselves. But it was a way for them to actually acknowledge they thought because we made this law called Corban, their own commandment, and that's a gift to God. We don't have to honor our father and mother. As if now, God's law doesn't apply. But now they could go by their own rules. And this is what Jesus is addressing here. Again, he said, these people draw near with their heart and their mouths and their lips. Excuse me, they draw near, excuse me, with their mouth and their lips, but their heart is what? Far from me. Why? Verse 9. Notice this. In vain they worship me. I'm sad to say a lot of Christians are doing this today. They think they adore God. If you ask them, do you love God? Oh, yeah, I love God. I love God. You go to church? No, man. No, man, you don't have to go to church. We don't have to. But you get to, and God said you need to, and God gave you a shepherd. And God said, don't forsake assembling. Well, that ain't what my God tells me, praise God. Guess what you're doing? You're making your own commandment. You're coming up with your own commandment of what you say is right or wrong, not your God. Because I got New Testament verses that tell you that ain't true. Correct? When God said, do not forsake, can I ask you parents something? If you parents would tell your children, do not do something, is that an option? No. It's not? No. I tried, kids. I tried, man. Shoot. I thought maybe they'd say, yeah, it's an option. So if you didn't do it, you wouldn't get, you know, obviously disciplined for it because it's not a commandment. It's not an option? The do not word is not an option? Do we really think when God says, do not do something, that's an option for us? Now, he's not trying to put you in bondage. What a lot of Christians still don't understand, God's got the best plan for your life. But a lot of people, for some reason, don't want to seem to accept that plan. But I think this has actually happened before. Can we remember a time back in the children of Israel's lives where they got delivered out of Egypt, a type of coming out of the world and being born again? And all million plus of them except two did their own thing. God wasn't trying to put them in bondage. He says, I got a promise waiting for you over there. Our promised land, just so you know, I I probably really need to teach on this at some point. Our promised land is not heaven. Because in their promised land, guess what was in their promised land? Enemies were. We have no enemies in heaven. Our promised land is right here. We can enter into our promised land of covenant with God right here. Psalm 23 tells you so. I've taught you this. Psalm 23 is a prophetic psalm of the day you live in. He's prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. So just like he did for them, he provided a place for them to enter in. Why didn't they? 
Was God really trying to put him in bondage to a bunch of rules? No. He was trying to get him to believe in him. He was trying to get him to trust in him. Let me show you what I'm going to do to drive out your enemies and provide for you this wonderful promised land. But guess what, boys and girls? You got to do it my way. Because if you don't do it my way, I can't help you. So if you and I choose to do things our own way, we're causing God to be put in a position to not get to know us better, us to get to know him, and to walk in what he has for our life. So realize this is critical for us as believers to understand. We still today have believers doing the same thing Paul talks about here, of which they make their own command. or excuse me, Jesus talked about here. They make their own commandments, their own rules of what they say God says is okay and not okay. That is contrary to what? The word of God. Read it again, please. Verse 9. And it says, And in vain they worship me, watch this, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Doctrines here means teachings that they claim come from God. The word doctrines here is not just any type of teaching. This is referring to them saying what they're teaching you is of God. What's the same as somebody telling me, my God wouldn't make me go to church. In truth, he won't make you go because if he really wanted to make you go, he could make you go. If he chose to come down here, Jesus did, and show up and grab you and drag you to church, he could do it. But he's not going to do that. So you're right in one sense, he's not going to make you go. But to say, God, here's what they say, God doesn't care if I go to church or not. That's a lie. I said, that's a lie. I said, that's a lie. God doesn't care if I give or not. God knows my heart. That's a lie. God does care if you give because God wants to bless you. And God wants you to help him reach people with the gospel. Am I going to get any good man, amens out of the church? Did y'all fall asleep in the middle of that? So, so understand this. Literally, Christians still do it today. They still do it today. They still take their own view or what somebody else has told them. Uh, just like these Jews, they took, hey, man, you don't have to. If you, if you recognize that prophet you got, brother, is Corban, you don't have to honor your father and mother anymore. I know the Ten Commandments say that, but we made a law. And our God's not going to make us give that money to our mom and dads anymore if we acknowledge it as a gift to God. And by the way, you just keep it anyway. And that's what they did. That's what they did. So people still do this today. Well, you don't have to forgive. You've already been forgiven. That's not what the New Testament says. It's not what the New Testament says. Forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you. You know, I like, I forget who the statement came from. I've heard it many times. You know, not forgiving is like taking a glass of poison and you drinking it yourself. Because unforgiveness doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts you. Keeping that bitterness in your heart. You know, guess what it hurts you most with? Your faith. Because you get out of love. So understand all that God has for us in relationship to our life under the New Testament is not some quote-unquote religious law that we have to live by. No, it's the plan God had already established just like the children of Israel to get in our promised land. We have the ability to walk it out because of Jesus. We have the ability to walk out what he prepared for us because Jesus already paved the way through his shed blood. But we can't do this our way. You can't believe God for healing any other way than the Bible says to. You can't get healed any other way than the Bible says to. Is healing a promise in the New, the new Covenant? Yes, it is. But you don't get it by the way you think it works. You know what most Christians today think as it relates to healing, how it works? If I can get everybody on social media praying for me, I'll get healed. And you know what? They get all these, oh, tell everybody to pray, tell everybody to pray, tell everybody to pray. Do you really think they have faith in the blood of Jesus? What's their faith in? What's their faith in? How many people are praying? It ain't those people praying that's going to get you healed. It's the blood of Jesus that's going to get you healed. And I'm telling you, the last thing you want to do is tell everybody to be praying for you. For anything. Number one, you just expose what you're dealing with. To the whole world, including every demon. Number two, you get people praying contrary to what the Bible says, and all that's going to do is hinder, not help. Thank you for all your amends about this. Brother Hagen taught this. Jesus taught this. Paul taught this. On and on we could go, man. You got to watch your mouth. You got to watch what you say. So realize we don't need, literally the Bible says where two or more shall agree. Well, I just got to find one other person. Well, you can. You can. Thank God for that. But I only have to, guess what? The Holy Spirit's a person. 
I don't have to find a human person. I got a person living on, on the inside of me. He's called the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's not an it. He's a person. Can I help you? The Holy Spirit has no problem agreeing with you. Never, ever. Well, I got to get somebody else to agree. You already got somebody. You got the Holy Spirit. The, the deal comes back to your side. Do you really believe? Do you really believe? Amen? So you can't even get healed the way you think it should work. You could try, but you know what's going to happen? It won't work. And then a lot of people start blaming God. And that's where all this stuff comes in. Well, God doesn't heal everybody. And, you know, obviously if he did, everybody would get healed. On and on we could go. First of all, you don't know why somebody got healed or didn't get healed. You have no idea why you're not them. Don't mean anything was bad or wrong, but you don't know. You don't know what could have been hindered. You don't know what could have been causing the problem. You have no idea because you're not them. You're going to work out your own salvation. I don't like it when believers don't get healed. I don't like it. But I'm not responsible for them. I'm responsible for me. Better amen. I I can't answer the question why every believer didn't get healed. You know why? Because I'm not them. And God's not going to tell you. I said, God's not going to tell you. No one knows the spirit of man except the man himself. Here's what you got to remember. Nothing of what anybody does or doesn't do changes anything about God. We don't go by experience. There's no place in all the Bible that says we determine how we live and what we believe and what we do based on people's experience. There's no scripture for that. I said there's no scripture for that. There's tons of scripture that says Jesus didn't come to heal some. He come to heal all. Did all receive healing in his day? Not even in his own hometown. Why? In their case, it said, not everybody, this is true. But in their case, it was because of unbelief. Unbelief. Some may just really be struggling with the ability to believe in their heart that it's already so. it's, It's too difficult for them to close off what their body is dealing with, to not consider their body and to get that out of their thought life and to feed on the word enough to get that word in their heart, to get that, re- that uh, revelation to rise where all they consider is one thing, Jesus. Amen. Jesus. But if you consider your body and consider the word, I have a word for you. You're not going to get healed. Because the way faith works, what did Abraham do? Didn't consider his body. Didn't consider Sarah's body. Most Christians do. I'm here to tell you, folks, we've got to be careful because a lot of people don't understand. They're not experiencing. What's the, what's the benefit of a true worshiper? Intimacy with God and living a life like him. Why are a lot of people not walking in that? They're not, washing, they're not worshiping him. They're not adoring, magnifying, loving him to the highest degree. What? In truth. According to what the Bible says about you. According to what the Bible says you have, what the Bible says you are, what the Bible says you can do. I wanted to find it for you just a little better in just a minute. I just want you to see these verses again <clears throat> very clearly. They were thinking they were worshiping God, huh? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But their hearts were what? Far from him. Far from him. Without even realizing it. And I see this a lot today. A lot of people, oh, I can do this and I can do that. And God don't care. And God doesn't really ma- it doesn't matter to God if I do this or go there or say this or say that. And all that spoken contrary, go to John 8. All that spoken contrary to the word is not true. Anything that we begin to take upon ourselves in a way of something we think as what we would say is a commandment of men, we wouldn't call it that. We would say, well, I learned this from so-and-so. Yeah, but what if it ain't true in the Bible? You know, it's like a gal I had today saying, well, you know, we, we do Halloween and we don't, we don't do it for evil reasons. We have fun. It's a fun thing. I said, that's cool, man, if that's what you want to do. I'm not, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says the book of Ephesians have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. All you got to do is a little research on where Halloween's, Halloween's origin is. It ain't good. It's all dark. It's all evil. There's nothing good about it. If you go check it all out, well, we trick-or-treated when we were kids and I didn't get a demon. Nobody said you would. Nobody said you would. But that doesn't change the Bible. That doesn't change what the Word said. What are you going to do with the book of Ephesians telling you not to have anything to do with the unfruitful works of darkness? And if anybody thinks Halloween was originated out of light, they got another thing coming. It is the, it, and even for satanic worshipers, it is their high in their their term, holy day. I wouldn't call it a holy day. This their high holy day. They actually offer human sacrifices and all kinds of stuff on that night. Now I know your kids are. I'm not telling you your kids are. Dead. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you what's the purpose behind it. 
And for you to tell me Christmas and Halloween are the same, are you kidding? What's the purpose of Christmas? Celebrating the birth of Jesus. Well, Halloween's not. Halloween's a celebration of evil, a celebration of darkness. So that's why I would not have anything to do with it. If you want to have something to do with it, take your kids, go for it, man. I'm not, I'm not your boss, man. I'm just a minister of the gospel who's simply here to help you know the truth and walk in the truth. Amen? And I told this gal, I said, you know, it's okay if you think that, you know, in your view, because then she came back and said, well, that's, that's your thoughts on the matter. I said, no, this isn't about my thoughts or your thoughts. This is what the Bible said. See, the sad part about it, about it is a lot of people are missing out on the backside of this Worshiping God in truth because they don't want to accept the Bible. Why would you not want to accept the Bible? Because I like doing this. This is the way I want to do it. It's the way I want to have it. Right? And all you're doing is you're missing out. I said you're missing out. I said you're missing out. John chapter 8, powerful truth about this and aspect of what you and I understand about a worshiper who worships in truth. Clearly we don't go go by what man says. Say never... Go by what man says about God. Say it again. Never go by what man says about God. Why? What if you do? You're not a true worshiper. We don't go by what man says. We go by what God says. So here in John chapter 8 verse 31, Jesus gives us another clue. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word. So here's a condition thing. If you do what? Abide in my word. What is the word? It's truth. John 17, 17. The word is truth. So you can say it this way. If you abide in what? Truth. If you abide in the truth, you are my what? Disciples indeed. Isn't that the goal? Wasn't that what Jesus said before he left his disciples? Not what he said? Kathy said yes. Deb said yes. Linda. Wasn't that the goal? It wasn't just to pray a prayer and get born again. Go make disciples. Go what? So a disciple would be what? A true worshiper. Because a disciple does what? They abide in the word. If you abide in the word, you're my disciples indeed. He's not saying in this setting, you have to abide in the word to be born again. He's not saying that. He's saying about being a disciple. About being a Christ follower, walking in his footsteps. Notice the next verse. Everybody loves verse 32. They just seem to not want to study verse 31 too much. And you shall know the truth. Come on. You don't have to try to figure out the truth. This is what's so cool about these verses. You don't have to try to figure out the truth. Why? Because you're trying to get it to your brain. I'm going to help some of you. You don't try to figure out the truth with your brain. You meditate on it. You feed on it. You abide in it. You become one with it. And guess what happens when you become one with the word? You will know the truth. Read it again. See, a lot of people think, yeah, I got to get this truth figured out in my brain. No, that's not how it works. If you abide in my word. So the phrase abide in my word is if you become one with my word. You can say it the other way, which is really kind of more powerful. If my word becomes one with you. My word becomes one with you. What are you? You're my disciples. What is the result of becoming one with the word, church? You shall. Didn't didn't say you might. Come on, somebody. You shall know the truth. Why? Because the word is truth. And the truth might, you never know, could work for some. The truth shall. Shall. That is the strongest assertion that can ever be made in the English language. Shall. Absolute. The truth shall do what? Set you free. How many want to walk in liberty? So guess what true worshipers do? They walk in liberty. They walk in liberty. So to become a true worshiper, i got to worship him in spirit, meaning it's all about him. Nothing else, right? And i got to worship him in truth. Question, how do I worship God, God the Father, Jesus, Son, and the Holy Spirit? How do I worship him in truth? Become one with the Word. Become one with the Word. If you become one with the Word, you're a worshiper of truth. A worshiper in truth. In truth. And the more you become revelation knowledge of that truth, the more you become uh, one with the truth, guess what happens? The more freedom you walk in. You'll know it. Yes. You'll know the truth. By it becoming one with you, you'll know it. Yes. You'll have revelation in your heart. And what will happen? It will work for you. 
So here's the second aspect again of what the whole reason of why God wants true worshipers. First of all, if God's the focus of our worship, spirit, what will we do? Get to know him. If we worship him in truth, what are we going to do? Become one with the word. What are we going to do? Look like him. Did you get that? So the two reasons he wants us to be a true worshiper, know him, become like him. He loves to watch his kids live in the life that he lived. He loves it. He loves to watch his kids walking in liberty, just like he does. Walking in power, just like he does. Walking in authority, just like he does. He loves that. He doesn't love to see his kids bound, not free, falling for deception, not using their authority, not walking in the same life as Jesus. This is why God wants true worshipers. Why does he want true worshipers? Come on. One, to know him. Two, be like him. To know him, I got to worship him how? In spirit, he's got to become the focus. It's got to be about him. If it's about what I do or anything else, I'm never going to get to know him. Because that's all the focus is going to be about what I'm doing, not him. See how simple this is? To be a worshiper in spirit, I've got to know him. It's all about him. Amen? And if I become a worshiper in spirit, I get to know God. Second thing he wants you to be a true worshiper for, he wants you to live like him. Want you to look like him. How do I do that? Worship him in spirit and then in truth. So to walk in a lifestyle like his, all I got to do is become one with the word. Amen. Was Jesus one with the word? Yes. Oh, you bet. He was the word. <laughs> he was the word that became flesh. So if I become one with the word, what's your lifestyle going to look like? Somebody give me some understanding. Your lifestyle going to look like Jesus. Yes. Why? Because you're a true worshiper. Right. So true worshipers who worship God in spirit, it's all about him. They get to know him. True worshipers that worship him in truth, guess what? They look like him. So we got to learn how to worship him in truth. Amen? Amen. So clearly I got to make sure that I'm not following some ideology I have of what I think God says or what somebody else may have told me that may not be in line with the word. As to what I obviously am to believe. You know many Christians really don't believe that they're one spirit with the Lord? Oh, I couldn't say that. That's blasphemous. No, the Bible said you are. The Bible said you're one spirit with the Lord. Literally, there's Christians saying, no, 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 no. You can't be one with God. Well, then you couldn't obviously be born again. See, some of you looking at me funny like that cow looking at a new gate like, really? Oh, yeah, I meet them all the time. You get taught stuff people never hear relating to these kind of things because they just kind of get a little warmed over message and they don't really get to learn a lot about who they are. But guys, this is so powerful that you and I can worship God based on what? The word and the word only. Knowing that I am believing in who he says I am, what he says I have, what he says I can do. I get one with that. I'm going to live the life like Jesus lived. Anybody want to do that? Go to the book of James. Chapter 1. We can go to other verses as well, but I'm going to go to a series of verses that I think will culminize this and put this together for us. How do we worship God in spirit, pastor? How do we do that? So, Excuse me, in truth, pastor. How do we worship in spirit? Make it all about him. Just make it a daily pursuit, lifestyle daily pursuit, spiritually, to get to know him. How do you do that? Through spiritual means. Prayer, the word, church, but it's all about knowing God. It's all about knowing God. It's all about getting to know this God who got you born again, who now has come to live inside you by his spirit, who wants you to know him personally. Now, how do I worship him in truth? I don't go by what I think. Come on, just like this gal said today, well, that's what you think about it. If I was going by what I thought about it, we'd both be in trouble. Right. <laughs> we don't need to know what I think. Well, that's just what you think. No, that's a black and white scripture, darling. There ain't no, there ain't no gray matter in that verse. If the Bible's black and white on something, we don't need to be trying to come up with some kind of gray area to try to skirt around that verse. You're not going to worship God in truth, meaning what? How how do you worship God in truth? Become one with the Word. Well, how are you going to do that if you don't accept it? How are you going to do that if you don't accept what it says? The problem is if you don't accept what it says in relationship to certain things we're to do and not do now that we're born again, guess what? You're not going to believe who you are. It's going to hinder your ability to believe who you are. I, this is so powerful because the balance here is understanding. I'm not earning anything from God. See, a lot of people still think this whole thing about dealing with lifestyle. You're trying to teach people they got to earn something from God. Not at all. Nope. 
I'm not earning, you ready? This is a powerful statement. The Holy Spirit gave me years ago. I've never forgot this statement. I love it. I'm not earning anything from God. I'm learning. I'm learning how to walk in what I already have. God's already set it up. But I got to learn how do I become a partaker of what he set up for me. I've given you a promised land. I got to learn how in the Old Testament as a child of, of, of Israel, I had to learn how to be able to walk with God, which only two people did. Right? right. right? Only Caleb and Joshua, they learned how to walk with God and enter into that promised land. Were they earning it? No, they were learning. They were simply learning how to get what God had for them. You and I are not earning anything, so I'm not earning. What are we doing? We're learning. Learning how to walk by faith. What are you doing if you're walking by faith? Putting total trust in what Jesus did. James 1. Are you still with me? So let's look a little further here then and understanding how to walk with God as a true worshiper in truth. In truth. Verse 21 of James 1. Therefore lay aside how much? How much? All filthiness and overflow of what? Wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, I'm I'm, going to get close on time here, so I'm going to just kind of skim over this a little bit. And Sunday night, we'll wrap this up because I want to make sure you get it. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Underline this statement, please, and receive with meekness. So here's the key. Here's the vital key nugget to becoming one with the Word. Vital key nugget. You have to receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Now to do that, let me explain something. You may not actually believe all of it yet. But if you learn how to receive it with meekness, you will. Right. You have to receive it with meekness. And if you do, what happens? The, the other phrase there in the Greek writing of, the, of this verse says, you receive the word with meekness, guess what happens? It gets implanted in you. Right. It's not in your head. It's in your spirit, man. Where's faith come? From your spirit, man. Where do you put faith in what Jesus did for you? In your spirit, man. You want to know why a lot of Christians are missing out on walking out the kind of life that Jesus walked out? They hadn't got the word implanted yet. You got to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to do what? Save your souls. Oh, I thought my soul was saved. Nope, your spirit was. Your spirit, man, was. You're a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions, and your soul is not saved and will not be saved this side of heaven. You have to keep renewing it and keep it saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrong thinking. Saved from the commandments of men. Saved from the lies of men. Saved from the deception of religion. The deception of what others may say about what God truly does not say. You got to save yourself from all that. If you save yourself from all those things that are not biblical and not truth, and you stay in the truth and become one with it, what will, what will happen? You'll know it. What will happen? You'll know it. What do you mean know it? It gets implanted. When do you know it? When it's implanted. Where? In your heart. The minute that seed goes in ground in your heart, it's implanted. What will it now do? Produce faith. Come on, somebody. But I got to have meekness for that to happen. So he says, you're to receive this word with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. What will it save my soul from? Wrong teaching. Wrong beliefs. Come on. Wrong commandments that man made up. Core ban. It'll deliver you from stuff like that. That man says is okay. Man says this is what you need to know. And this is how you should live. And all these preachers are wrong. Oh, I didn't know they were anointed to teach you the word. <clears throat> you listening? I, I know ministers, excuse me, I know people today who harp on ministers that own their own plane. Our pastor owns his own plane. I mean, people harp on them all the time. Well, they're just a bunch of fat cats and all they're doing is taking advantage of everybody. Da, 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 da. If I ever meet those people personally, I don't get mad. I'm not going to fight with them. I'm not going to argue with them because the Bible says not to. I ask them one question. Do you know him personally? You ever been in his home? Come on. Ever been around him beyond a church service? Probably haven't been in a church service with him. Uh, no. 
then who gives you, what gives you the right to know everything about him? Just because he owns a plane. You have no problem rock stars owning planes. You go pay money all the time to go to concerts, to listen to country music, rock music, name it. Name all the stuff you go watch. Well, I don't. You go to movies? Yeah. Well, them, them actors have their own private planes. I mean, politicians have their own private planes, yet you vote for them. Gets awful quiet when you start talking like this. See, I say, listen, here's the deal. I'll guarantee you, there's some, there's some bad ministers out there that take advantage of people. There is no doubt. There is no doubt. But that don't mean they all are. No. You have anything about, any knowledge about their personal schedule, what they try to do with the work of the ministry and keep up with all they're called to do? Our pastor would have to cut, no joke, they've looked at it many times. He's tried everywhere in the world to figure out how to get rid of a plane. You kidding me? He don't even want one. He would have to cut down literally 60% of his ministry, of where he goes and what he does without, a, without his own plane. Anybody flown lately? Yes. Anybody know what that's like? Yes. <laughs> Crazy. I remember Ray Bench was here not too long ago. Yeah. Ray Bench couldn't get on his original flight getting here. Ray Bench couldn't get on his original flight going home. Ray Bench, Ray Bench had to not only change to the next day to get home on a different flight, but then he actually got uh, messed up on a second flight trying to get home. Uh, you know, people don't get it, man. I mean, it's a whole different time frame in which we live. And if you're called to do some of the things like our pastor's called to do, I'm not, I'm not standing up for it. I know him personally. The ones I hear all the knocks about, Kenneth Copeland, shut your mouth. Do you know him personally? I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about people. All people like to slam Kenneth Copeland. You know him personally? My pastor knows. Do you know? Do you know him personally? No, my pastor does. Known him for over 30 plus years. So is Terry Mize. Been in their home. Been around him many times. Was with him here last week. Amen. And I'm going to tell you what. According to his own words, you're not going to find two people that have lived a stricter, more disciplined, more uh, harsh life in walking out what God wants for them to walk out. Never giving in to sin. Never doing things, uh, doing everything above and beyond reproach in their ministry. Right. And all they account for and all that they do. Nobody talks about. You know what nobody talks about with the Copelands? The mass multi-millions of dollars that Kenneth and Gloria give to help not only preach the gospel, but in every time and every case where people have had situations where, like Katrina, all these, I mean, they have sent literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of supplies. Nobody talks about that. Wonder why. Wow. Wonder why you don't bring that up. So to worship God in truth, we got to do what? We got to make sure what we're basing what we say and believe and do off of what? The word of God. Why'd you bring up the plane? Is there any verse that says a, a, a minister of the gospel can't own his own plane? Well, Jesus didn't even own his own donkey. Okay, he was only here three and a half years. But the one that they went and got to him, nobody had ever ridden on before. A little different time frame. I think if Jesus was here today, I got a feeling he's going to have his own plane to get around to do what God's called him to do. Are you still here? So notice this, we've got to be careful that we stick with what? The implanted word through meekness. 22, but be doers of the word and not what? Hearers only, deceiving who? Wow, touch on that Sunday night. If anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. He actually went to the word and looked at the word of God and started seeing what he was like. What does the word of God reveal? Who you are, what you have, what you can do. Right? But one who hears and doesn't do, it's like somebody who looked in the mirror, saw his face, 24. He observes himself, but he goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, say law of liberty. Wow, God called it a law. A law in the New Testament? Yeah. It's called the rule of liberty. Where does that come from? John 8, 31 and 32. Become one with the word, you know the truth. Truth to do what? Set you free. Becoming one of the words, not just doing it. Nope. Included, but it's more about believing it. Amen. As you'll see Sunday night. And you've got you to process it for that to happen. Because you've got to get it implanted into your soul. Are you still with me? Yes. He who looks in the perfect law of liberty, 25, and continues in it. It's not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This one will be what? What will he be? Yes. Woo! That's our confession all the time. Yes. I'm a doer of the word. Therefore, he said, I'm what? I'm blessed. Yes. 
If anyone among you thinks he's religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is what? Useless. How in the world do you, how in the world do you deceive your own tongue? Words. Well, how do I deceive? By your words. Other people can speak words that aren't actually in line with the Bible that are wrong, that are misleading, to try to make you believe something that the Bible says isn't true, but that won't deceive you if you don't accept it. Amen. How do you deceive yourself? Based on what you keep saying. And if you keep speaking contrary to the Bible, guess what? You're going to deceive your own heart. On top of the fact the Bible says in relationship to what you got to walk out as a doer of the word, swear you don't hurt and change not. Now, this is something I'll get on. If I remember to, I'll come back to this Sunday night. Not really the focus here, but it applies in the doer of the word. Powerful truth. Brother Hagin taught one of the things the Lord showed him was, he said the reason a lot of people are having problems with their faith working is because they've deceived their own heart. And it's not that they're speaking contrary to my promises. No, but they make promises all the time and they never fulfill them. So they commit to things all the time. I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do And they never do them. Never. I don't mean it's like, okay, I didn't get it done in time and I'll still get it done. No, they just never do it. They make promises all the time that they never keep. Guess who's hearing that? Your spirit, man. So you keep saying one thing, your spirit immediately, whatever you say in relationships to stuff you say you're going to do, your spirit wants to kick in and help. God wants to help. But all of a sudden you don't do it and then over your spirit, your spirit goes, I thought we were doing this. I thought you said that's what we were doing. Come on, somebody. So he literally, the Lord showed him this. He said, if you get somebody who continues to say something one way and they don't do it, they continue to do something else. He said, now they start confessing the word of God. You know what their spirit says? I don't know if that's true or not. Why? You deceived your own heart. You kept saying you're going to do all this other stuff, never did it, so I guess it was never true. Yeah, but the word, well, listen, you've been saying all this other stuff. You don't want to deceive your own heart. Can I get a better amen? amen? Has anybody in here ever said something that you would do that you never did? I'll raise my hand first. We're not saying you never did it. Don't make a habit of it. Don't make it. That's why I read it before this. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Quick to hear, meaning what? Listen to your heart first. Don't just be committing all kinds of stuff and saying all kinds of stuff. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Amen. So we'll come back to this Sunday night so I can really under, help you understand what he's saying here about receiving the word with meekness. That's the key to becoming one with the word. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. Let's do a quick review, all right? God's looking for what? True worshipers. Why? Why is he looking for true worshipers? He wants, them to, he wants to know them. He wants them to live like him. That's, what he's, that's why he's trying to find them. He wants them to know him. He wants us to live like him. Amen? Right. Wants to rub off on us. So to be a true worshiper, i got to worship him how? Number one? Spirit. In spirit. To worship him in spirit means what? It's all about him, which fulfills the very purpose of why, how we get to know him. Because if my life's all about him, then he's my focus. He's my priority every day. He's my adoration, what I magnify, what I love to the highest degree. If I do that, if he's, if he's the one that I make the object of my worship about, to know him, I'll worship him in spirit as a believer, right? And then the second thing, I'm going to worship him in truth. If I worship him in truth, I don't go by what I believe. I don't go by what somebody else believes about me, about you, who they say I am, who they say I'm not, what they say I can do, what they say I can't do. Well, you can't do that. Did God say that? Or, or did you just say that? You let people say, well, you can't build that church. Did you say that or did God say that? Did God tell you that? Because I got a different word from God. Amen. You listening? Yes. So understand we don't go by what man thinks, what man says, what man believes. Because if you do, it makes the word of God. Listen to that statement Jesus said. Your commandments make the word of God of no effect. You're worshiping me in vain. Because you're not worshiping what I've told you. You're worshiping what you think or what somebody else thinks or whatever. So to worship him in truth means what? We go by the word only. And in doing so, we become what? One with the Word. We become one with the Word. What will we do? We'll look like Him. We'll fulfill what He came to do to help true worshipers to know Him and to live like Him. And thank God we can. Aren't you glad?
We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours. Thank you.